Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. everybody got nine minutes till it's good afternoon and we are thank you Christina she's the one singing the free thing you know who the sun sets free is free indeed who the sun sets free is free I am free you know and then dancing it's awesome though but for real today is a day of freedom And society tells us that we're measured by and our worth is determined by our net worth. How much you got? Like, what do you bring into the table? Like, show me what you're worth. And it's like, no, I don't need to show you what I'm worth. My worth is determined by my network with God. I'm connected to God and I'm connected to his people. And so that's how we start to redefine what it means to have Freedom and worth. This year we've been taking a long look internally to get healthy, to dream for 2020, to see clearly. And the hardest work is done on the inside. When deep roots are going down in our life, in soil, and getting past those hard places, maybe stuff that's happened when we were a kid that we didn't want anyone to know. Sins that have been knocking on our door for a long time and we've been entertaining them, opening left and right. And, and so we have determined as a family here at City Life to focus on the one. Because one is a really big number to God. And it, one's not a big number, especially if we're talking money. It's not a big number if we're talking money unless it's yours and it's a person. God cares about the one. What that means today is God cares about you. He cares about me. Jesus is our freedom. He bought that. He purchased that. You and me can never earn it by grace. We have been set free. And because of habits, we often sometimes will just return back to the cell. This is why if you've ever felt like you made great strides with God and then found yourself far away from God just a few moments, weeks, days later, Because it's hard to break new patterns, but eternally, our security, freedom, our worth is purchased as soon as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And then walking that out, that can be messy. That's why we need community. We need God's word to reprogram our brain and lead us and guide us. So we have a great master that's here today that will hold our hand every step of the way. And in fact, when we fall, he'll pick us up. Being a dad has been one of the coolest things ever. Uh, married to Crystal 14 years, five kids, 
My name's Jerome. Jesus is the shepherd here. He's the pastor, but I get to be his under-shepherd, which means I get to be his under-pastor of what he's doing here. But ultimately, this team is made up of so many legendary people that have worth that each role is vital, and that's what you heard Matt and Kayla describing so amazing on the dream team and what that means to come alive. And, and so as we continue today, we are putting another flag in the ground of, of, of the, the victory flag for freedom. Jesus is there, but just another pass to say, okay, I, I want to be free from money because uh, I'm free. I'm free from my past. I'm free from the shame. I'm free from sin. I'm free from the overcoming the temptation of sin today because greater is he that's in me. Christ set me free and Christ lives free. So touch your neighbor and tell somebody, I am free. Come on, like, say, I am free. Like, I'm free. We got to believe that stuff. And as we continue this, one of the hardest things to understand is how does God view money? Because we need money, or do we? And how, what does that mean? And ultimately, God has a lot to say about money. There's 500 verses approximately on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith. But there's more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Now, I know the temptation can be this. Well, look, man, it's 1130 service. You already know, man, we, we don't got it like that. Like, come on, maybe that's the 10 o'clock people. Maybe they got, they got to get up early. They had nicer cars when I pulled in. I don't, I don't know what the temptation for you could be. I mean, I don't have enough money. Or you're sitting there and like, hey, I got enough. I, I already got a lot of wisdom and teaching. Don't check out whether you have a lot or you have a little. I would encourage each one of us to check in because today is not about how much money you have. It's about seeing money clearly how God sees money. Because cash rules everything around me is a lie. It doesn't. God rules everything around me. And during these four weeks, Last week we kicked off and uh, we're, we're under the banner of free for the one, but there's a little sub-series going on that I'm free to give. What does that mean? How do I get there? So if the, if the finish line of money is actually generosity, so to be a champion with money is to be generous, absolutely providing for those that are in your house. But you see that not, not only that that, that, that becomes standard. I'm providing for those close to me, but then I'm also, I'm trying to provide for others. It starts to revolutionize our minds. And 2 Corinthians 9, maybe you've heard this in church different times. For God loves a cheerful giver. What? I want to go back to when it was just talking about I could put my faith in Jesus. I could worship, maybe listen to the word. I'm not into this whole giving stuff. Well, God loves a cheerful giver. God's word is alive. I wouldn't be challenging us in the same way that I need to be challenged because we all need to be challenged in an area that is ruling our life around us. And the message puts it this way. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind and what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. So here's what's really neat about that. God's patient with us understanding what it even means to be generous and what it means to even look at money. Because I'm not sure about your upbringing, but my upbringing, uh, we're check to check. When I came to the Lord, 
450 credit score, thousands in debt. Everyone's calling me like collections left and right. And so the race and the journey is not where you're at. It's where I'm at with God. But now, you know, 750 credit score, but that's been a grind. Do I want my kids' story to be they got a 450 credit score and they're in debt collection? No, because we're moving the ball. We're advancing it forward from generation to generation. So wherever we're at, we got to, though, let the Lord do his best work in us. Let, us, let, it, let him do his best work in us today. And if you notice whether it says if you, if, you, if you stingily plant or you lavishly plant, it's assumed that each one of us have the ability to plant. Well, I, I, maybe I, I don't got enough money. And look, I'm, look, no, because we all have something. We bring to the table and God doesn't want to have our money. He wants us. And he recognizes that too often our money has us. And one of the quickest ways that we can uh, collide with this is to say, you know what? I must not think about me. I'm going to think about somebody else. So how does this flesh out? That's what we're looking at today. One of the biggest lies, I believe, to fight our freedom is the lie that I'm needing something to be complete when I already have someone and his name's Jesus and I need to be content in that. So am I craving or am I content? Last week, we talked about the love of money, that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. And from its cravings, many have wandered from the faith. Well, do I love money? Well, do I crave things? And now I should be concerned because I have the deception track laid out before me that as I crave, now I might wander from the one who can secure my soul forever. So it's a big deal, okay? This is a big deal. If we can wander from the faith, we need to talk about it. And we get really weird when it's about, talk about money. And I, I, there's elephants when it comes to money, where, especially in church, there's a, been a lot of abuse. I remember we were knocking on some doors and, uh, you know, for Love the City and just loving people right where they're at, going in the neighborhood, hey, what's up? We love you guys. And they're like, man, forget the church. We've been tithing forever. And we're like, what do you mean? The church never did nothing for us. They all, um, because there's been some churches that have closed. And he's like, they closed and they left. I thought, man, what a bummer. Because God never closes and he never left. But you can empathize with that position and see, well, look, I don't want to talk to you guys because you've never represented that you're for the people. Now, God's with the people. He's for the people. And that's what this people, this community, we need to be about. And let, you know, our money be where our mouth is. And that this church, I'm praying that we're not a church that it stops, meaning like money comes here and it stops. We're a church where it flows and it goes to neighborhoods and people to, to not just come and say, hey, we got food. No, hey, we got the good news and we'd love to teach you and lead you and love you and learn from you about Jesus. Because ultimately, that's the greatest thing we can bring. So today, as we continue that, we're looking at um, worship because it's a matter of ascribing worth, and money is ultimately determining worth, and some preachers have said it this way, show me your bank account, and I'll show you where your treasure is. There's truth to that. Or show me the paper trail, and we will see what we worship. So I'm somebody that's on the journey of this as well. I don't begin to have it all figured out. 
it's like entering a workspace and there's tools everywhere and we're asking tough questions. I mean, what does God say about money? And today's message is God owns it all. So what this is not is how to invest um, out there in stocks and bonds. What this is not is how we're going to buy houses or sell them. This is not how we're going to continue to get more jobs or do a startup. What this is, though, is reshaping our view to even see something that many believe makes the world go round. So we're looking at it in a new way. And we're going to listen to a story of a parable of a rich fool that tried to hold on to everything and ultimately lose it all. Didn't believe that God owns it all because when God owns it all, I also believe that he can supply it all. It changes my perspective. We're going to listen to the uh, audio version of Luke chapter 12 of the story of the parable of the rich fool. And it's from an organization called Streetlights because they love people so much. They created an audio Bible for urban context for those that can't even read, but that they can hear God's word over hip hop music. And so we'll just read along. And there may be someone here that says, I mean, I can't read. Awesome. Well, that, this is why this was created. Check this out. Parable of the rich fool. Then someone called from the crowd. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night, and who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Teaching about money and possessions. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. 
sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's so good. Um, I got the luxury of listening to that multiple times, and every time there's different things that's highlighted out of it. And the emphasis, though, is, hey, God is in control, and he takes care of his kids. Solomon, I'm talking rich upon rich, wealth generationally, and yet the flowers are richer than him because God has provided and takes care of them. And, but yet those flowers will be thrown into the fire when God makes all things new, new earth, new heaven. We get to rule and reign with him in his kingdom. Wow. And we're his children, and he most surely will take care of us. So why are we worried? Life is not measured by what you own. So what is it measured by? It's definitely measured by God. But the temptation today, I would say, is a temptation of this world is to store all money here now. Build barns. I got to get safe. I got to get secure. This is the same mindset you, we see played out with doomsday preppers. You know? Well, there's wisdom in that. Well, sure, there's wisdom. But at that point, I don't know. Like, either you believe in God or you don't. If you believe in God, then, then he's, he, thank God there's a higher moral authority. But if we don't, well, then for sure, why would we have rules for, like, basically a strong survive. Survival of the fittest. It's piranhas over one piece of meat. Let's, just, let's go, let's go. But because we do know in our hearts, Romans 1 teaches us that just by looking at his creation, God exists. And he cares about his creation. He's going to come back. And, and that losing our life isn't the, the worst thing that can happen. It's um, holding on to our life and then meeting him and losing our relationship with him forever. Because we never accepted his son because he sent away out of the pain, out of the suffering, out of the sickness, out of the darkness and that we all feel and face, the toil, the burden, the heaviness. When I was praying uh, before the first service, thinking about this message, just like the video, the chains that are on the people, that the, the burden, the pressure of this world and the comparison, primarily ruled by the God of this well, ruled by the God of this age, but primarily through the means of how people love money and how we esteem those who have money or don't. But that's not the definition of worth. What if we met people that are super wealthy and didn't show partiality? I mean, I, I could imagine if, if, if Ye and Beyonce came in the place today, people were like, oh, snap, sit them front row. Well, God says, sit them in the back, man. Don't show partiality. You find somebody that's forgotten about, sit them in the front and love them. That means find someone on the corner that's got the sign up and maybe judge, right? Look, I know they're going to use the money for wrong things. Well, before we even know, do we know their name? Because God knows their name. He's not judging outside. He looks at things differently. He's a game changer. And that's really neat because now there's a temptation in this world to store money here now and not give or be, uh, and even maybe be minimally 
involved or give towards a treasure forever. And the lie is a mirage masked as wisdom as the rainy day fund to be safe. I want to be very clear. There's nothing wrong with having savings. God wants us to steward money amazing and have a kingly mindset that we can help people and be lenders and be radically generous. But, but what we do ha- have to be very clear about is we always have to ask God, am I the one saying I'm securing this for what you're doing? Or, or, or am I really letting you lead and in, in, in I'm doing it cheerfully? That all the time we're signing up and saying, God, what do I do with this? It's yours. God owns it all. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Not, what do we say? Come on, if we're honest. I worked for that. It's my paycheck. Watch, don't spend, this is how I spend my money. What do we tell our kids? Those are my things. I caught myself saying the same stuff I remember saying I'd never say. You didn't earn that. It's not, it's mine. It's not yours. What does God say? I gave you the ability to even earn it. So there's a mirage masked as wisdom as a rainy day fund to be safe, and it's a trap to not trust God. So if we're secure and we have abundance, there's a trap to not trust God. If we have lack, though, there's also a trap to not want to steward what God's given us because we think we'll never get ahead. So we might not be living content because we think, oh, well, look, we've been poor forever, so we'll never break out of it. God is the God of the universe. He wants us to have an abundant mindset today. And that comes with a mindset. It's not about what we think about the things. It's about the wealth that he has, the quality that he has, that he's ascribed, that I'm a child of his. You're a child of his. You're so wealthy. You're rich. But every day I feel that battle that says it's not enough. I need something. I need more. And it's a lie. It is absolutely a mirage. And so today, we're going to look at the American dream versus God's dream. And the subliminal deception is that they're synonymous. Well, they must be one and the same. They must just be the same, especially if we've only lived here. If we haven't traveled all across the globe, our worldview is very limited. And our understanding of of government is very limited. And God's a king. He has a kingdom. And so it's very important to see that, yes, the American dream overlaps, but it's not synonymous. And we have to let God reshape us because he owns it all. Check this video out by David Platt from his book, Radical. The mantra of the American dream is to advance yourself with hard work, ingenuity, innovation. You can have it all. frightening reality of the gospel. Jesus does call us to give up everything we have. And he may tell any one of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. But we don't believe this. If we form Jesus to look like us and be who we want him to be, then even when we gather together and sing our praises and lift our hands, the reality is we are not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. We are worshiping and singing to ourselves. We have a master who demands radical obedience. A mission that warrants radical urgency. And we do not have time to waste 
our lives living out a Christian spin on the American dream. The most glorious reason you exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And it's more than having a nice life. It's about giving our lives and our families and our jobs for the proclamation of the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. If we're going to live for the sake of 4.5 billion lost people and thousands and thousands and thousands of kids who are dying every day because they don't have food on their table, then that means radical change in our lives and our families and the church. Church, we are plan A and there is no plan B. Uh, Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, so we prepare, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So what, what we're not saying is you have to sell everything and give to the poor today. But Jesus does ask us that often, if we would. And... The context for when David Platt wrote that book, they're down there in Birmingham, and it, they, you're talking about some of the richest people in the world, beautiful, and he was calling them to just consider the, the alternative, and people started living within their means, and our context in Lansing is radically different. There's people that are just looking, hey, I need a job. I need, can I get a resume? Can we get a little bit of help? Wherever we're at in the spectrum, though, I believe the message transcends because the message allows us to really say, who do we believe owns it all? If someone came in and provided for us, would we pledge our allegiance? Would we say, you're the master now? When Jesus says, hey, I'm the master, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and he commands us a lot about money because he wants us to walk in the freedom from thinking that our victory belongs in the stuff we have. So we can plan, absolutely, for the future. Build, get ready for your kids. You know, invest, college fund, cool, that's awesome. You're budgeting. A, a real good framework for budget can be, all right, I got 100% of this, this, this paycheck. What am I going to do? Well, God gave it all to me, so I'm going to give first. I'm going to give 10%. I'm in the game. So now what, uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to save 10% because I'm thinking about the future. I'm trying to steward, and then I'm going to invest 10%. Maybe I'll get a, a, a stock or a fidelity fund or something, and I'm going to get some type of retirement fund. Then I'm going to live on 70%. And someone says, well, how am I supposed to live on 70% when I can't even live on 100%? Unless we change the patterns and change the habits, we'll never be able to have the financial freedom. I genuinely believe that. So it's not about maybe having the 10, 10, 10, 70 out the gate. It's about starting somewhere and having the infrastructure so that we can have the wisdom so that we can walk in freedom of this area. But how we see it is vital. It's vital. So vital. Now, the Pharisees, they had giving down. So we could have giving down but still be lost. Jesus encounters them and he says, you're hopeless. You religious scholars in Matthew 23. Verse 23 and 24, reading out of the message. And you frauds, you keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look? 
writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons. What Jesus is saying there is, look, I see you keep things like your money right, but don't you realize that I want to do something even greater with your money. I want to do something greater in your heart because if your heart gets tied to my kingdom, that you'll realize that the money was all about the people. It was about justice and fairness. It was about compassion and faithfulness and mercy and commitment. And so the whole even idea of understanding money is really to, 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 to have healthy people, to have healthy people, people that rule money, not money that rules us. And can't you see how so much of money is ruling our thoughts, ruling our conversations, how we're going to spend it, where we're going to go, where we're going to eat, where because we don't have to be accountable to anybody because do we even really believe that somebody's going to check it at the end of the day? Someone will bail us out or maybe the government will help us, but God owns it all. In Luke 16, there's a parable of a manager, a dishonest manager Jesus looks at his disciples and says, there's this rich man who had a manager, meaning he didn't own the place, but he was just managing the place. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. He wasn't taking care of the funds properly, and he gets eliminated because now the owner comes back. The owner comes back, and if the owner looks at our life and how we're thinking about money, Jesus is the master. So when he comes back, he says, what have you been doing with what I gave you? Well, the interesting thing is he gets demoted, but then he goes out in the streets and says, now here's a surprise. I'm going to read out the message now in verse 8. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. What he did was he... he got demoted, he got sad, and then he started going out and he started making deals on behalf of his master. He goes, wait, wait, what do you owe my master? Uh, I owe him 100 grand. All right, can you cut a check for, for 50 today? And he started going out and making deals with everybody uh, because there was a reverence and a fear that the master's watching, I gotta make this right. And that the father would even grade on a curve the person's going out there just to try to make it right. Why? Because there's so much reverence and respect for the master. But one time, when, when we get disciplined, what do we do? When we get disciplined, oh, I'm just going to give up. This is too hard. I don't want to play anymore. Instead of using our street smart, going out there, making something happen, and then saying, hey, God, God, look, I know you're the master. What do I do now? So it says, streetwise, people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert. The Pharisees, law-abiding citizens, God has a, he has a affinity for those that are reckless and still just trying to please him. Not belligerent. There's a difference between, God, I, I, I'm ignorant. I'm trying to figure this out, but I want to please you because you own it all. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival. Pause there for a second. Do you know what it's like to feel adversity, especially financially? What if the adversity was meant for us to have creative new tactics to creatively survive? You ever watch those shows where people are just dropped off in the middle of nowhere and then they come up with creative things? I was watching a video of a guy that's on an island. He's been there for 20 years by himself and he has created everything. 
every, all kinds of things. And just because he started getting creative ideas, sometimes having too much is a hindrance. So those that today we feel if you lack, if we lack, you might be in a prime position for creative ability and instincts to think of something new for survival techniques. Because to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. That the bare essentials is a place that we can be confident in. I think that speaks to so many of us that we feel we're check to check or whatever. And maybe if you're not, that's fine. That's, that's awesome. God's always asking us to steward it. Because steward, what steward means is it's utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God in the betterment of his creation. King Jesus, okay, whatever you've given me, it's yours. I want to do this thing right. I want to use it for your glory and the betterment of your people and all of creation. We're stewards, right? We have a master. So where do we go with any of this? Um, worship team, if you guys would start making your way up, that'd be cool. And we didn't take time to give at the beginning because we're going to do this at the end. And we're going to do this at the end because the, the, the idea is that there's no difference between when we're singing, when we're learning, when we're working. No matter what we're doing, God owns it all. And giving, we want it to go by quick, especially if we're not in the game. You know, it's like, okay, I might preach it. Like, I might got five on it. Like, like yo, hey, pass that bucket. Or online giving now. He goes, no one needs to know. But here's the thing. God knows everything. And he's entrusted to us, and he loves his bride. He loves his vehicle. He loves the church, that it's the manifold wisdom of God, that it's the display of what he does. Now, maybe you're like my dad. He talked to me last night, and he said, he goes, man, I was watching TV. He was bragging on City Life. He goes, I love what you guys do. And he goes, I was watching TV. Those guys was talking about he's going to get a private plane, and the Reporter was asking him, preacher, why do you think you need a private jet? It was a new private jet. And uh, he goes, it's none of your business. And my dad's like, isn't that silly? You know, he was just laughing. He goes, you guys aren't like that. I was like, dad, but I bet most of the people think that's what churches are about, the private jet. Because that's the first example you gave too. When really it's about love the city truck, it's about reaching the neighborhoods. It's about reaching the schools. More resources mean more people we can empower. It means equipping people for the good news. It means discipleship. It means making sure Kid City, we're thinking about a new floor in there. There's so many different, it means the people, y'all. That's what it means. And the whole idea that we're trying to be like holding on to every, look, look, we want to be a church that flows. We want to be a church that's freestyling. We want to be a church that's all into the glory of God. There's the um, parable in Matthew 25 of the talents that there's a man going on a long journey who called his servants and he trusted to them to his property. And he gives 
to one five and the other two and to other one. And, but it was all according to their ability. When we get a gift from God, sometimes we see what somebody else has and we're like, God, I want that. But those that had five, the person who had five and the person who had two, they multiplied it. The person who had one hid it in fear. And I struggle with this parable because it's like, wait, because when the owner comes back, sees the multiplication of the five, says, wow, give that person more. Sees the multiplication from the person of two, says, wow, give that person more. But when they see the, the, the fear or the, I think, wisdom of the person with one that buried it and says, look, and gives them back one. Like, look, I didn't do anything with, I didn't lose it. And the manager's, manager's like, owner's like, wait, what? You know. You know that I reap. You know that I gather. You know that I created everything with God. You know that I'm good. You know that I'm with you. Why wouldn't you believe that I could multiply it? If you really thought it was mine, wouldn't you change the way you act? So here's the point. It's a mystery in how we steward. But your walk is not my walk. It's not the amount that counts. It's that I start seeing money is that I'm responsible to a master. Wow, that's a lot more convicting than talking about a tithe, isn't it? Well, a tithe being 10%. Does God want 10%? Do we have to tithe? No. We get to tithe. And do we stop at tithing? No. God might call us to give it all. And that's harder the bigger the checks get for those in the room, right? It might be easy to tithe on 10 bucks. You start tithing on 100 grand. You start tithing on 500,000. As our church, our budget went from, I think, 200 the first year, 350 the second year, and then 520 the next year. But we give 10% on everything, right? And, and we get, we've given almost 20% every time as a church outside to different organizations, different people, different church planning initiatives, um, even outside of ARCA, which are main church planning we support. And during that, those checks get bigger. You start seeing those numbers. You're like, oh man, that's a lot of money. No, no, no. It's still the same percentage we committed to a long time ago. It just means that the scale's bigger because if we're faithful in a little, God will allow us to be faithful in more. And we're not thinking about a $500,000 budget. What does it look like if City Life, God entrusted us with a $10 million budget? I'm telling you, if we're faithful with stewarding what God's given us today, He'll allow us to reach more people tomorrow. So we get to be on that journey, y'all. We get to be on that journey together. Okay, I'm going to rapid fire some things. Giving team, if you guys could come up front. Number one. If you're, if you're taking pictures, I got six things I'd love to give us real quick as we're going. And we're going to worship. So we still got time. Like, we got tons of time. It's the shortest church service in Lansing. So if you came and you think it's, look, 70 minutes. I think it might be. Got a, I was calling one church we were going to visit. It's awesome. Every church is awesome that's preaching the Bible, for the record. There is no church comparison, right? They're awesome. And, but one church was two and a half hours long. I was like, oh boy, what? I don't know if we can visit this week, but, uh, but that's awesome. I just literally, I was thinking, but I should have asked God, you own it all. You own my time. What do you want me to do with it? I forgot. 
All right, number one, God owns it all and I'm his manager. We're gonna make this personal. This is all first person because in America, our wallet is first person. Number two, God is my provider. Number three, life is not measured by how much I own. Life is measured by how much God owns me. Number four, I am an heir. My inheritance is forever secure in Jesus. Number five, I invest and I give to multiply the master's investment. So if I've been entrusted with five, if I've been entrusted with two, or if I've been entrusted with one, I give and I invest to multiply his investment. And number six, this is the funnest one of all, I give out of love, not fear, not fear, not fear. Luke 12, so don't be afraid, little flock. This is from the story at the beginning of the, God takes care of the ravens. He takes care of the flowers. In verse 32, so do not be afraid, little flock. Look at us so close with our Father. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So as we end, you know where we're going? We're going to go look at God the Father. Does God the Father give? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Is that more important than money? Oh, every time we give, I don't want us to just think like we're giving or we're supporting. No, we're worshiping and we're getting an opportunity to be like our father who's so generous in all things. So generous that the only way he could buy us back was sending him very self, his son. Fully God, fully man. Yikes, that's awesome. That's awesome. This is way bigger than money. We are free. We are free. We are free. We are free. And we don't have to give. We get to give. God doesn't want money from us. He wants something for us. So be invited in that venture. There's a few ways you can give today. Number one, you can give in the app. Number two, you can give in the envelope. And then number three, you can give online. And as we give, we're going to worship. We're going to say, you're the only one. Because the cars, it didn't fill me up. What was it? The, the, the house, it didn't fill me up. The money. It didn't, didn't fill, fill me up. up. Nah. The status. Didn't fill, didn't me, fill up. me up. The promotions. Didn't fill me up. The control. It didn't fill me up. Nah, not the real me. Just <sighs> instantly. The thrill me. Mm. Come on. It didn't fill me up. It didn't fill me up, though. It's true. Yeah. It's been a beautiful journey to be giving now to be a part of what God's doing for 15 years. He saved me. He taught me new principles about money, going from a 450 credit score to a 750 credit score on the journey. We're, we're like ahead. Yeah, right. Like we just got to the place that we can breathe and now we're thinking ahead. But one thing we're asking along the whole way is, God, what, how do you want us to steward? What do you want us to do? It, it, it's all yours, right? So as we do that, think, make this personal. This isn't between you and City Life. This is between you and God that's flowing through His church, City Life. God, use every dollar today as we give. There's some people here that are like, I wasn't even prepared to give, but I'm challenged and I want to go on later. There's freedom. We ask for your grace to meet us in this space today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we give and the buckets are passed, let's sing.
You're the only one, God. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.